Hello and welcome to Okawa Book Club. We're your hosts. I'm Hannah. I'm John. And in this podcast, we'll be discussing the books of international best-selling author, world teacher, and CEO of Happy Science, Master Ryuho Okawa. As of June 1st, 2022, Master Ryuho Okawa has published over 3,000 titles on such topics as self-help, religion, spirituality, politics, and economic prosperity. Yes, and today's book, we'll be discussing the rebirth of Buddha. The subtitle is My Eternal Disciples, Hear My Words. This is a beautiful book. I reread it again after a little while. And this is one of the very first original publishings of Happy Science, and it's been republished recently. But it's one of my favorites because I don't like to say it's easy to read, but it's a, you just walk right into it, and it feels as if he's talking to you. There's a message for you, which is, I believe, the whole point of the book. I agree. It does feel very like it's speaking to your soul. <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, let's begin with reading the preface. Would you like to? Sure. Preface to the new edition. About 2,500 years ago, on Vulture Peak in India, overlooking Rajagriha, the capital of the Magadha kingdom, I would give sermons to my disciples. That deep emotion comes back to my heart. At that time, with shaved heads and in saffron robes, you were weeping for joy at my sermons. Now, you were born into a different age, in a different country, wearing different clothes. However, your heart that feels Buddhist truth must be the same. Master and disciples are eternally tied by the laws. The Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha are one. This eternal book is my gift for you again, by Ryo Okawa. Yes, and as you said, it really does feel like he's speaking to our souls. And if you don't believe in reincarnation, I think you will after this <laughs> book, because you feel like the rumbling like voice just rumbling in your, in your soul. I think that's exactly what it feels like. It's a very just powerful voice that's speaking through these pages. Yeah. And I remember my mother actually telling me that this was the book that convinced her of faith in happy science and the conviction of Master Okawa being the Buddha because she's a very intuitional person, just feels things to be right or wrong. But she said the opening line where it says, uh, let me just read that part. Literally, the first two lines are, All of you, my disciples, do you remember my voice? And she said she just had streaming tears right. from those two lines. Wow. <laughs> and she still talks about it today, and she just starts tearing up. But yeah, I can, I can feel that, and I agree that it's a very touching and awakening kind of energy that happens when you read this book. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, that, that's beautiful. Um, you know, what you just shared about your mother, and I, I think that it's true. Like, from the time you begin reading the book, it does... It's hard to explain. Like, it's it's beyond logic. You could read different books, and they, they could have an impact. But this one, it's just... It's almost more than a book. Yeah. It's kind of like reading a prayer for your soul. Yeah. Like an internal voice that you hear. And as you said, it's more... It's, like, not logic, but it's... Buddhism is so logical, but at the same time, this book is that really beautiful sweet spot between undeniable wisdom, logic, as well as that deep emotional faith feeling, and I think it comes together beautifully in this book. 
Yeah, and I think that it's it has to be that way. And I think that the the element of faith is mm-hmm. what is missing from Buddhism in the way it's usually taught today. Yeah. So I think that the fact that this book like just awakens your faith just by reading it, <laughs> and it almost it's like a, a talisman almost from the heavens. Yeah. You know, it's it's really just remarkable. That's so true. One of the more popular teachings of Buddhism is the middle way, right? And mm. he talks to us a lot about the middle way in this book, and it's very centering, I feel, to read this book. And whenever I feel like I'm off-center, or being extreme, in other words, I read this book, and yeah, I really, I feel centered again, basically. Yeah, I wanted to read the middle way on page 49, just a little bit. He says, I tell you again and again, in times of success, people climb up the ladders of success. But at that time, they are also climbing down to failure. Do not forget this. The road to success and the road to failure are two sides of the same coin. This becomes clearer and the more evident as their slope becomes steeper. People who never succeed seldom experience failure but those who have many successes will also experience many failures. Life is like a twisted strand of rope, constantly showing the right or left strand, or the upper or lower strand. Likewise, happiness and unhappiness are the upper and lower strands of the same rope. Do not forget this. So I feel that's a complicated, you know, thing to have to contemplate, but it's also life-saving. People really get like big-headed when they succeed and then that's when they trip and fall right so like even on a more very basic example of my own personal life recently i got my driver's license right and i took many lessons and when the instructor said wow you did a great job at parking i didn't even have to instruct you i was like yay and i'll pull out and almost (laughs) hit traffic (laughs) So after a successful lead, to my, it was immediate, and I felt like, wow, that was like a real life happening. You just have to keep it cool, yeah, and keep going. Yeah, I think there's always an implication of like moderation with the middle way. I know for myself, it's it's kind of at the core of like my moral compass, and it's something I always turn to. So it's you can always feel like. Whenever there's a victory in life and a success in life, you always there's a part of you that like wants to like jump forward and with this newfound confidence and and we should feel confident, but it's always the middle way that like brings me back to my center and it's like that's good but you know maintain your humility mm-hmm. and that's how you're going to keep really progressing. Yeah, it's like an insured continuous way to success. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How about you? What's your favorite part? I really enjoyed there was um chapter three. Uh, Do not be foolish. There were so many mm. parts. Oh, he's so good, that one. <laughs> yeah. It's like the Buddha being very direct and giving you the hard truths you need to hear. But there was one part that I really enjoyed. It was from, it's on page 82, and it's, O people, do not mistake the right order. First, it is important to govern yourselves, no matter how much money you use, how many days you spend, or how much help you receive from many people. To make great achievements, if you fail to know yourselves and govern yourselves well, then you cannot be called wise. Know yourselves well. Knowing yourselves includes knowing the fact that you are children of Buddha, no matter how much you are respected. In this worldly sense, if you do not know that, 
Your bodies and souls have been given by Buddha and live without being aware of your Buddha nature within, you can never be called wise. In this passage, and it continues, but for the sake of being concise, it's like I feel like there's, number one, there's an emphasis on being self-governing and being independent. And I think that's a message that could be so useful for the world today where there's just, you know, there's a lot of groupthink, I think, mm-hmm. in, in the world. And I think the socio-cultural, socio-political system we're in, you know, it, uh, tends to encourage that. So this notion of governing yourself first and foremost, which I think is really a core principle of Buddhism, but then also of having faith. So it's like you're self-governed, but there's still something above you. And again, there's the, and I think that also ties into the middle way, yeah, where there's yeah. like a, there's a balance there. There's yeah. a, a humility, even though you're your own master, but there's still a higher master right, at the same right. time. Yeah, yeah, it's like, don't be extreme. Like, control yourself, but understand that there's someone above you and respect that. As you said, today's society, sometimes when we speak to people, like, do you know that Buddha is reborn? They're like, anybody could be a Buddha, or I'm a Buddha as well. It's like, yes, but, you know, they have a Buddha nature, and, (laughs) like, it's not about you always, and... They always, um, I guess I'm talking more about American people. It's very self-centered, me, and compared to the world. Where do I stand in this? Very self-centered narrative going on, and denying that is like denying who you are. Right. It's very extreme, and I find to be very exhausting. (laughs) And it makes me think, where did that come from? And it also makes me think, how useful this book and the Buddhist teachings can be for Americans, for a new kind of prosperity, a more balanced prosperity. So I really hope people learn more and study more about Buddhism, true Buddhism. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like what's taught in this book and all of it being centered in the middle way, like that is the pillar that can balance the world out and remove all of the extremes that are there, which are, you know, the extremes are always problematic, but extremes are sort of the easy way out. That's true, it's, yeah. You know, it's kind of, if when we polarize ourselves, it's like we just can, we could feel comfortable and fixed in something. Mm-hmm. You know, the middle way is a dynamic. We always have to be working towards it. And That's true. Yeah. It's like, again, driving, you can, it's easy to turn left or right, but it's kind of hard to stay centered on the road. Yeah. <laughs> like, you just have to kind of wiggle the steering wheel and make sure you stay in line. It takes energy yeah. to do that. Yeah, another point that some people might be surprised by in this book is the fact that he talks about politics. Mm. And um, you may not expect that from, like, a Buddhist book or a Buddhist teaching, especially one that looks like a poem, like, when you read it, you think, oh, it's just going to be beautiful words. But it's very strict, <laughs> and it talks about politics, economics, and things like that. So it's very, very insightful and, and again, centering, especially for this society and um, era that we live in. I agree. You know, I was actually reflecting on that point specifically uh, earlier today. And what I was thinking was that, you know, like, when I discovered Buddhism when I was, like, 19... I, I discovered Shakyamuni's teachings, which were from like 2,500 years ago, and they're all relevant, but they don't acclimate to the present day circumstances in certain respects, uh, the way that this book does. And so 
I was feeling like I wish I had discovered this when I was 19 because I could have avoided maybe some of the spiritual pitfalls of focusing more maybe overly so on spiritual training to the neglect of the world that we're living in. Mm. I wanted to, (laughs) so could you give us an example of like what are those pitfalls? I think, um, well, like for me when I was younger, there was a period where I lived like almost like an ascetic, you know, like spending, Mm -hmm. meditating throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but it was sort of to the neglect of other responsibilities in my life. And I was able to make like some leaps in spiritual training Mm -hmm. by doing that. But it was unbalanced. Mm. So it was kind of to a polar extreme. <laughs> and right. So, and then the process of reorienting yourself to the true middle way then become that much more difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think the way Buddhism is usually taught today, most often, and the, mo- the way most people are familiar with it, is that it's a secular way. Mm. So I also think that that in part is due to the fact that there was a need, maybe intrinsically, to bring Buddhism into a contemporary, I guess, point of emphasis, mm-hmm. you know? And whereas, like, Master Okawa does is, with his Buddhist teachings, is he's bringing it into a contemporary point of focus without losing the emphasis of faith. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what is missing from all of the secular and sort of atheistic, nihilistic <laughs> Buddhism that's out there right now. That's so true. It's, I did hear someone say that Master Okawa and also you know Shakyamuni Buddha went through the aesthetic training to prove that that was extreme and he said so in so many books that being an extreme going through that thing didn't help him become like a human being and he said okay I did that already I'm telling you what will actually work to bring you to the middle way but I feel human beings, they want to embody and they do it too. And they want to, you know, right. that whole thing. <laughs> and, uh, hey, I did it too. So I'm pretty sure most people who are curious and interested in Buddhism want to do that and, and go through it. And I think it's in, in some ways very important. But he starts off where Buddhism left off. Right. You don't have to go back 2,600 years ago. You can start today. All the wisdom is here for you. Start from now on and i feel that there's like a a new enlightenment not just to yeah renounce the world and it's like a new form of renouncing the world what kind of world are you deciding to renounce right yeah so it's a very as you said contemporary modern way of a buddhist lifestyle or mindset that will ironically help you be more successful (laughs) in every aspect of your life today including politically and economically Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the table of contents is chapter one. Now, here, I have returned. Chapter two, words of wisdom. Chapter three, do not be foolish. Chapter four, politics and economics. Chapter five, patience and success. Chapter six, what is reincarnation? And chapter seven, faith and the road to creating Buddha land. Afterward to the new edition. My disciples, be strong. Conquer all worldly temptations and wrong views and gather to me. You need to have the indomitable resolve to hear the direct message of Buddha given from his golden mouth. The Udumbara flower only blooms once every 3,000 years, and it is agreed that only one Buddha is born into one age. Now, gather to the Buddha reborn. Upon this calling, all light of Bodhisattvas shall come together. Ryo Okawa.
So thank you for listening. That was The Rebirth of Buddha. You can find it on at Barnes and Nobles and Amazon.com. And for more information, please visit okawabooks.com. Stay tuned to our next episodes. Thanks for listening.